You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome in on this Wednesday here on The Philip Jordan Show. I'm your host, Philip Jordan. From last word on college football, where I cover Auburn Tigers, and I'm the in-studio host and producer of Gus Woods Football on I-6.9, The Legend. On today's show, I am going to be joined by last word on college football managing editor Tony Saracusa. We're going to look back at both the college football playoff games on Monday. Of course, Alabama falling to Michigan 27-20 to in overtime. We'll break that one down, and we'll also talk about Texas losing to Washington 37 to 31. Two very great games and sets up a matchup between Washington and Michigan. The first time in nine seasons that we do will not have an SEC team in the national championship game. And after that, we'll go around and look at some news around the Southeast in college football. And also, we will look at Tennessee and LSU's bowl victories from Saturday. You can check out the Philip Jordan Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody joining me on the show today, as promised, at the top of the show, our fearless leader over at Last Word on College Football, the managing editor, Tony Saracusa. Tony, I uh, appreciate you you coming on the show. I don't think we have any games to discuss, but we'll, we'll figure uh, it you out. Know, no, th- thankfully, we get a little break. You know, we can come up for air a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it was, wow, just just what a set of games. I mean, yeah. it, what's funny is the last two years, we've had these great semifinal matchups. You know, mm-hmm. Even last year with the Michigan TCU game, Ohio mm-hmm. State, Georgia. Before that, what we had maybe two or three that came down to the wire. They were always right. blowout semifinals. Yeah, they so were. we've really seen a, a shift in the 14 playoff. And of course, it's gone after this year. But <laughs> exactly. We finally got it right. And now we're going to change it. So uh, I, I'm going to lead it up to you. Uh, which game would you like to start with? Well, I mean, look, the Rose Bowl, you know, was the first game of the day. So we, you know, we can go to that. Um, it was it was eye-opening for a lot of people. Um, and you know, no offense to anybody's audience or anything like that. It was eye-opening to a lot of SEC people because Michigan was the more physical team and Michigan won. And I know SEC fans aren't used to hearing somebody else was more physical. But Michigan was, especially on the defensive line, especially early in the game. Look, they blitzed a few times, but they were mostly running defensive line stunts. And they were in the backfield, you know, on on Milrow constantly. Five sacks in the first half, uh, a stunning amount of tackles for loss. And when you go back and you look at the stats, it was not heavily in favor of the linebackers making those plays. It was the defensive linemen. So it wasn't a lot of exotic blitzes. It wasn't. It it was straight up physical defensive line play that really dominated Alabama's offensive line. And I know that's hard for SEC fans to believe. And I know it's hard for Bama fans to believe, but that was the reality. Now, look, Bama made adjustments at halftime. 
Uh, Milrow wasn't sitting back in the pocket nearly as much. They got him out in motion. They got him out of the pocket, and it worked. He only got sacked once, I think, in in the second half. Um, but they're also that that also wasn't his strength. That was you know throwing on the run, um, trying you know the receivers trying to fight their way through the Michigan defensive backs really wasn't the original game plan that, that Alabama thought they could they could utilize. So look, Michigan, props to Jim Harbaugh. You know, it's never easy for anybody to say props to Jim Harbaugh. Um, the time that he spent with the game planning worked and he had the personnel to do it. Look, this was this was Alabama's probably weakest team lineup wise in probably about three or four years. Now, having said that, Alabama's weakest lineup can still beat 99% of the college football teams in this country. They're still better than most everybody. But in terms of playing at the highest, highest level, this was this was probably the team that was personnel-wise least prepared to do it. Yeah, and you know what? And one thing too at Alabama, see that was an issue to office line early in the year. Mm-hmm. It was. Remember, it was like there was a stretch this year. I think Alabama, their quarterback was getting sacked four or five times a game. Right. And it seemed like that issue had went away, that they had right. done better with that. But then we look at, you know, last night on Monday, that problem yeah. came again. And then I, I guess, and I'll say this, I picked Alabama going into the game. Okay. My main reason was I was not sure if the Michigan wide receivers could get open. That was sense, when I yeah. looked at them. I, I had doubts about the receivers from Michigan. But sure. you got to give Jim Harbaugh and that whole staff credit. They did a good job at scheming their wide receivers open. They absolutely did. And in terms of what you were talking about with the offensive line, um, it was this was not a case because Milrow has had some challenging games. This was not a case of, Milrow not making it through his progressions, Milrow not seeing the receivers. This was Milrow didn't have time to breathe. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, the minute he was he was three, four steps back in the pocket, he was under siege. So this was not an issue of Milrow and the mistakes. Now that play at the end of the game, yeah, maybe, because I know a lot of people have issues with the play call, mm-hmm. and I get it. But if you watch the replay, watch it slowly, you see that, you know, it was the, the play was clearly designed for Milrow to win or lose the game. There was no pass option there. I know people were saying, oh, look, they've got the back. You could have dumped it off. It wasn't there. What was there is the right guard pulling to the left. There was a hole to the left that Milrow didn't see. He went straight up the middle. He tripped over the leg of one of his offensive linemen, wound up going headfirst into what looked like a dive into the middle, but it was more he tripped over his own lineman when there was a stunt gap to the left that he just didn't see. And, and it was there. Would he have made it in from three yards out? I don't know. Nobody does, but it, it was it was better there than going up the middle. So I give Nick Saban credit. He could have thrown, you know, his players under the bus. You know, hey, he made a mistake. He made the wrong call. And Saban just said after the game, the play didn't work. You know, we had different plays called, and 
then they called a timeout and we called a timeout and there were adjustments in the schemes. This was our last play and it didn't work. And, you know, it happens. And so, you know, it would have been easy to blame Milrow. Most of the fans I see on social media are blaming Milrow. Um, but it's, he did misread it, but you know, look, it wasn't also wasn't that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the snap wasn't great either. I mean, no, just- and well, and, and here's the thing they have had, you're, you're in your 14th game of the season. How are you still having snap problems from the center? Cause there were four or five of them in Monday's game. Um, how is that still happening? 14 weeks into the season. This and 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 look, I get it from a blocking standpoint, he's your best option at center. But if he's not getting the ball back to the quarterback cleanly, really, you don't have somebody else in in what world does Alabama not have other options on the offensive line? Yeah, they, they grow five stars uh, there in exactly. Tuscaloosa. Exactly. And, you know, that, and that was on one of the things too that helped set up the fourth and thirty-one against against yeah. Auburn. They yep. had a bad snap bad in that snap. game too, as well. So it's it's, been it's happened repeatedly throughout the season, and it's unimaginable that it hasn't been fixed. So JJ McCarthy, yes. I think a lot of people looked at him like this year, especially lately at the mm-hmm. end of the year. Okay, he just hands it off to run back. They're not asking a lot of him. He's capable, right. but they weren't asking a lot of him. What was kind of your uh, your take from his play, clutch plays there at the mm-hmm. end, especially with Roman Wilson? I forgot right. he was even on the Michigan roster for about three quarters, and then the fourth quarter happens, and he's all over the place. I think I think McCarthy takes too much of a hit from the Penn State game where they didn't throw a pass in the second half. They just ran the ball because they could. You know, that was smart. That's all they needed to do. And McCarthy gets tagged with this. He's a game manager. And I hate that. I hate that tag because so what? Don't you want your quarterback managing the game? If that is the strength of your offense, to play it tight, to play it close to the vest, and that is the strength of the offense and it's working, who cares if he's not lighting up the scoreboard with 300 passing yards a game? All you need to do is win, right? Hey, there are game managers who are, who have Super Bowl rings, all right? So I think we can stop using game manager as a, a as a pejorative, as a negative on on how we label a quarterback. He did what he was asked to do. He made some big plays. He made some terrific passes. He kept plays alive. He was making his progressional reads. He was doing what, you know, did he put up dazzling numbers? No, but they didn't need him to. They had a running game. They had Blake Corum. They had a defense that was just, you know, in Alabama's face the entire game. Even with all that, it came down to one play. It came down to three yards. But that's what happens in a game of elite programs. So that's not on McCarthy that they didn't score more. They didn't do more. It's not on him. That is the way the game is played. And you have two elite programs. It went to overtime. That's the way this is supposed to work. And look, the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, who also played for Michigan, was pretty much a game manager for the first half of his career, sure. Tom Brady. So sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I- it's, not, it's not a negative. You're mm-hmm. running the offense the way it's designed to run. That's a positive. 
Yeah, I, I thought that's what the quarterback was supposed to do. He's supposed right. to manage the game. Exactly. Uh, talk about quarterbacks the Sugar Bowl. Michael yes. Bay. I mean, I think most people knew he was good, mm-hmm. but I think also and and you, you used to live on a lip on the West Coast. I Sometimes did. I think that could be a deterrent for some players because absolutely some people go to bed early on the East Coast and uh, they don't see some of the games out there with the sure. Pac-12. But just and his pinpoint accuracy. I mean, what he did, I mean, 28 of 38, he was very efficient, 430. He only threw two touchdown passes, but, I mean, the offense was just was great with him. Versus Quinn Ewers, I think Quinn Ewers was kind of – everybody was expecting maybe this from him. He was a little bit inconsistent. But uh, right. just your thoughts on just Washington's win and then the play of Michael Penix. Well, I mean, Penix completed 77% of his passes. That, that, that is going to be spectacular no matter who, no matter who it's against the setting, the circumstances, but when it's in the college football playoff game, wow, right? Look, you're right. I lived up until a year and a half, almost two years ago, I lived most of my life, all my life on the West Coast. Um, So I'm challenged trying to watch West Coast football while living in Charlotte, but I manage. I just don't sleep, you know, but I manage. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've, we've joked about it. I mean, you know, aside from covering the ACC, I, I record 17 to 18 games a week, every week because of the awards that I vote on and the different panels that I'm on. And, you know, I have to give myself until like Tuesday morning or Tuesday midday to get through all of them, you know, so that I'm up on who's doing what. So I saw Penix, I saw every game that Penix played and I get it. The, when you're on Pac-12 after dark on the Pac-12 network that nobody sees, the East Coast people aren't going to see him. I came into this semifinals, the two games combined, telling people Penix is the best quarterback in the group. He is better than any of them. And people doubted it because they went back to where you know he struggled at the end of the regular season. He had a couple of off games against Washington State and Arizona State, and his stats weren't great. But then you look at what he did against Oregon. And when you see the physical ability of this guy, right, he's keeping plays alive. He's scrambling. Okay, we see a lot of quarterbacks do that. We see a lot of quarterbacks throw on the run. This guy throws bullets on the run. I mean, he is throwing 20, 30, 40-yard passes on a rope through a window that's about that big with with his receiver standing in the middle, throwing through double coverage windows like this and just on a dime. It is staggering to watch. He was good at Indiana, but he couldn't get through the physical issues. He was injured every year. Um He's hooked up with Kalen DeBoer at, at Washington, who I know well from his days as head coach at Fresno State. Um, he was a terrific coach at Fresno State, very good, and you knew he would move on to bigger things. Um, I think you also look at Penix and you look at Bo Nix at Oregon as two guys where the portal worked. They stayed two years where they, you know, at, at their final destination. They were going to school, getting their grad degree, getting their master's, whatever the case may be, and staying in the system and the program for two years, not hopping around from place to place. And it makes a difference. Bo Nix had a terrific year, uh, had a great bowl game. Penix, you know, second in the Heisman. And I got to tell you, 
there was, you know, as, as, you know, I'm a voter for the football writers association, all American team. And we actually delayed putting together our all American team. We had a lot of positions done so that we could wait out the conference championship games to watch Penix to see if he was going to leapfrog over Jaden Daniels. It was a very close vote at the end. I will tell you that Daniels won by one vote uh, over Penix for the first team. Penix wound up second team. Um, his game last night was just, it was just awesome to watch. This, the arm strength of this guy. And again, we see lots of quarterbacks throw on the run. That's the modern game. This guy is throwing bullets in a yeah. very narrow area with a 77% completion rate. I mean, he wound up what, like 60 yards shy of Joe Burrow's playoff record for, for yardage, for uh, passing yardage. It was just, now it helps. He's got a great, great cast of receivers. Um, and I know Ohio State fans, I know LSU fans, you don't want to hear this. Roman Dunze is the best wide receiver in college football. And as a voter on the Bolitnikoff Award on my last ballot, I had him as number one. Um, his hands are surefire. You, he, you will not see the drops. And yeah, Malik Neighbors had more yardage, no question about it. And Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors were a great pair. Um, and Harrison, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. had a great year, makes very acrobatic catches. Roman Dunze is one of the most physical receivers you will see. He will put his body up against any defensive back and he will win most of those battles. So you had Odunze and Polk and McMillan and Bernard. I think they were targeted, the four of those guys were targeted like 20 times last night with 19 receptions. I mean, wow. That's mm -hmm. just, you know, I mean, the, the four of them had a combined 353 yards. They had the two touchdowns. Um, that's, that's just huge. Now, the other thing is, real quickly, is you talk about, Pac-12, West Coast, throw for lots of yards, you know, high speed, fast, whatever. Washington doesn't do that. They play high speed in terms of the play pace is speed, is high speed. But these guys, they, they burn the play clock. They use 20, 25, even 30 seconds off the play clock all the time. So when they've got a two-score lead, they're killing you because mm -hmm. they're not trying to hurry up um and they are physical the offensive line was it two weeks ago now i guess won the joe moore award for the best offensive line in college football that is a relative for people who don't know it it's a relatively new award i think it's five maybe six years old it is quickly becoming incredibly prestigious because of the people who vote on it no i'm not one of them i want to be but i'm not but the voters are mandated that they watch a just absurd amount of game film. It's not just watching stats. It's watching the schools will send in game film. So you're not just saying, well, they have this amount of pancake blocks and they've only given up a few sacks. That's not it. I mean, it's part of it, but they're watching the schemes. They're watching, can this guy pull well? Does this guy handle a trap blitz well? They're watching those things. And Michigan won it the previous two years, but Washington won it this year. And it's an award that's for the whole unit. It's not mm -hmm. a player. 
it's the whole unit. So it's a big deal. They are a physical team. Uh, and I think too many people probably don't realize that yet. And what was wild about the Sugar Bowl was, look, when it, when they kicked a the field goal to go up 37-28, I'm like, this game is over. Right. Texas comes down, you know, mm-hmm. they kick the field goal their own. They don't get the onside kick. And then, I mean, all Washington had to do was take a, a few knees and this thing right. is done. But right. then the Dylan Johnson injury, if he never gets injured, what, Texas probably has 20, 25 seconds at the right. most. Right. But now they've got 50 right. completely changed. It and, did. And it, we almost saw probably one of the most epic comebacks in a that, playoff game. If it's not for that amazing play in the end zone, you know, yeah. on the last play of the game, what one second left when they when they snapped the ball, then we're having a different conversation. We're having a conversation that says, "What was Kalen DeBear thinking by by not just taking a knee? What was he thinking, handing the ball off?" We should probably still be having that conversation. But, <laughs> But when you win, it gets covered over a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, we're not having a Mario Cristobal moment. You know, that was I'll the name that. I was thinking of. Yeah, exactly. Right. We're, not having, that, yeah. we're not having the Miami Hurricanes moment, scratching our heads, going, "Wow, what a terrible coach." Um, so it was a mistake, and I think that if you got Kalen to be really blunt and honest about it, yeah, I would redo it. Not just because Dylan Johnson got hurt, but because. You know, and we don't know what his status is for next week. Um, then, you know, it just would have been a lot easier just to take the knee and run it out. So, uh, with the matchup, and yeah. uh, how do you see these two matching up with each other? Because it's, it's two different styles. I mean, very you know. different, very different. If, if Washington can maintain a running game, because. Penix is not some guy who's going to put up tons of yards running. I think he had, what, 35, maybe 40 yards rushing. Maybe two of them were, you know, maybe two of those plays were design plays. The others were just running when the pocket collapsed. He is not, he he is a pro-style quarterback. He is not out there to tuck and run. So they need a running game to support the passing game. If Dylan can play if he's healthy enough to play, if they can have a running back, I actually like Washington to beat Michigan because while Michigan is very physical and while that defensive line has proven to be a strength for the Wolverines, it is going up against the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line that is not that is far better than what they faced against Alabama. Um, and then beyond that, while Michigan's defensive backs did a good job yesterday against well above average receivers. This is a group of stunningly elite receivers. And I don't, I don't see Michigan's defensive backs being able to play man on man against these guys all night. So I like a lot of points scored because Michigan's going to have to score a lot to keep up. Um, and I and I like Washington winning a very very close game. Yeah, it's almost like you're dealing with three Marvin Harrisons. Yeah, it really is. And look, look, Ohio State had last year, and to a lesser degree this year, where they had a really good receiver unit. But it's not like this. Mm-mm. These guys are big. They're fit. They're, these are not five ten, five eleven, six foot receivers. These guys are six four, strong, physical. And you cannot guard all four of them all night 
with a bunch of six foot defensive backs. It won't work. You're going to have to hide your coverage better. You're going to have to, you're going to have to put pressure on Penix, which we've seen he handles pretty well most of the time. Um, and it's going to be tough to do when you're facing an offensive line that's as good as Washington's. I, I, I see a close game, um, but I see Washington winning, which, of course, would just be the greatest irony of all ironies. You know, a Pac-12 team wins the national championship as they're packing up the trophy case, you know, and, and you know, moving it to the Big Ten in theory. You know, it would be, it would be hilarious to see Pac-12 commissioner George Klyovkov at the game really with not much to do other than just enjoy his cocktails in the booth. I wasn't going to bring it up. I, I was not going to bring uh, that part of it up, but it is true. Oh, uh, uh, lastly, for you know, I'll let you go. I'll keep you more. Uh, I'll keep you a few minutes longer than oh, I, I said I would. Uh, kind of in a way to stay college football. I know they're bowl season, and mm-hmm. look, bowls aren't what they used to be. We all know right. that. Anybody right. that's followed the sport knows that the bowl season is not what it once was. I know a lot of people complain about it. The mm-hmm. opt-outs, the transfer portal, all the different stuff going on. Is, in your mind, is there any way we can fix bowl season, or is this thing just going to get worse with the twelve team playoff? Well, I think some of the bowls are going to wind up perishing. I think they're not going to survive a twelve team playoff. Now, some of the bowls, of course, are being melded into the playoff mm-hmm. format. Um, some of the lesser ones. Look, I'm a college football geek. I have been since the early '70s when I went to my first game. 1972. Yes, I'm that old. I was seven. Went with my grandfather to see UCLA play number one, Nebraska. Um, and I was hooked, you know, and it was just all the college football stuff, the game, the uniforms, the band, the huge crowd. It was like, wow, this is, and, and, have, you know, started going to games, all games every year, all the UCLA home games every year with them for the next 12 years. Um, it, it, so I love bowl season. Have we reached a point of saturation? Sure, we have. Is it because of the opt-outs? No, it's not. And I'm sorry, I don't like the opt-outs before bowl games. It's been happening for 20 years. It just didn't get our attention because the numbers weren't that big in terms of how many people were doing it. Um, and let's be clear. I See, to me, and you and I have this conversation as I do with all the writers, the details matter. Don't just take the headlines, tons of opt-outs equals bad. Look at the details. Florida State was not a bunch of opt-outs. Florida State was a bunch of temper tantrums that, you know, they were pissed that they didn't get into the playoffs. The four teams who did get in were better than Florida State, but the system screwed Florida State because it's impossible to say you're an undefeated Power 5 champion, but you're not good enough what the committee should have done was move Florida state down. If you were that worried about Jordan Travis's injury, you should have moved him down after the injury. You should have bumped Mm -hmm. him down to five or six then. And it would have made more sense to do it as your answer to keep them out at the end of the season was pathetic. That having been said, they weren't one of the four best teams. They didn't deserve to be in under that protocol. But again, those were not regular opt-outs. Those were, that was a temper tantrum whatever. Um, we found out, we confirmed today, Tate Rotemaker wound up calling Mike Norvell on the plane 
as they were waiting for him to show up to get on the charter plane to go to the Orange Bowl to tell him he was going to the transfer portal. That's chicken bleep to do it like that, right? So that's different than the regular opt-outs of, I'm going to the NFL and I want to protect myself. I don't blame those guys. I don't understand why a third or fourth round pick thinks he needs to do it, but whatever. Doing it for the transfer portal. I don't like it, but let me throw this thought at you. How many how many schools did we watch that had an interim coach coaching? I know. Because, because their other coach took another job, right? And the new coach is on the TV booth being interviewed, but he can't take over yet. How many schools did we watch where the staff was trying to muddle together uh, you know, a cohesive offense because the offensive coordinator left or the defensive coordinator left. Maybe they took a head coaching job at a G5. If you're, if you're not going to get upset at the coaches leaving for the bowl games, then you can't get upset at the players for doing it. It's no different. They're going for the next best opportunity. And, you know, there's a lot of ideas about you can move the portal until after bowl season. The I and I and I hear coaches talking about that and they're in favor of it. Well, wait a second. The coaches are the ones who want to be able to get the players into school in time for the second semester so they can get them into spring camp. If you move the portal back until after bowl season, basically early January, you're you have, a lot of these kids are never going to get in in time for the second semester. So the coaches are complaining about it, but the coaches are the ones who want them in for spring camp. Mm-hmm. You can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. So yes, there are solutions. They are not easy. They're not easy because every time the NCAA tries to do something, someone's taking them to court and they get their head handed to them in court. We've got, you know, they tried to eliminate the multiple transfers, right? You do it a second time, you have to sit out. It took what? three, four, five days before some basketball players in West Virginia took them to federal court. And there's now a stay where you can't eliminate that. Um, There should be, there are ways to do it. The NCAA needs to get rid of the waiver rule. Just don't issue waivers at all. This is the rule. Live with it or don't. No more waivers. They need to move the transfer portal back a week or two, and they need to move early signing day up because we're seeing high school kids get hosed. They're losing their offers from schools because the coaches are going shopping in the transfer portal before early signing day. And they find someone who fits their need and they don't need this high school kid anymore. Mm-hmm. We specifically know of dozens that it happened to. Um, once you move high school signing day up to that first week of December, you don't need, as a coach, you don't need to shop in the portal as much now. So it eliminates some of that. Um, there are no easy answers because once there was a little leak in the dam, the whole thing started to, to, to go crazy. Um, it's going to take years of step-by-step to fix it. It's not going to be fixed you know, by bowl season next year. But there are steps that can, that can do it. You know, and you got to change the calendar. You've got to change some of the processes. Yeah, that's going to be interesting because, like I said, you know, even Kirby Smart brought it up after they beat Florida State. You know, sure. you know he, he made that question: "Cause football needs to decide what they want to be, what yes. they want the bowl games to be." 
right? And he's not wrong. He's absolutely not wrong. But like I said, the coaches are part of the problem yeah. because you're demanding to get access to these players right away. Well, let's move the portal. Let's push it back. But then you can't have these guys until summer. And that's, that's the trade-off. Yeah, it is. So it should be plenty of discussions about this on shows like this and other <laughs> and articles that last for on college football uh, about this very topic throughout the offseason. But we still have the game coming up on Monday, the National Championship game. But, uh, Tony, I've been a pleasure uh, having you on the show today to talk all things playoff and then the situation there with the issues with college football. But listeners, viewers, they want to check it online. Where can they find you? Go to lastwordonsports.com and click on the college football link. And there's your work as well as the work of our other 29 writers that we've got across the country. Um, we've got an Instagram page. We've got the Facebook page. And they can be found on Twitter at lastwordoncfb. Yes, I still call it Twitter because it sounds ridiculous to say I sent an X instead of I sent a tweet. So it's still Twitter. Yes. Uh, so we can be found on there at all. And they can hit me up when they want to argue with me about stuff uh, at Tony Bruin on Twitter. All right, everybody go check Tony out. Check out all of our work over Absolutely. at Last World College Football. And uh, Tony, I appreciate the time as always. And I hope we can do some some time down the road. All right, Phil. Glad to do it, man. 969, the legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 1039 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m., and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at night and coast to coast am keep you company and connected throughout the night plus fox news the alabama radio network and wiregrass daily news keep you informed with national international state and local news and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 kmx today's country 95.5 wtvy and music 1077 digio strategies gives you more choices and more variety listen on air online and on our apps 96.9 the legend is just the beginning all right, once again, thanks to Tony Saracusa for coming on the show. Uh, great conversation with him, as always. And uh, we're going to run through uh, real quickly the bowls and some news coming out of the Rose Bowl after Monday's game. Uh, in the SEC Bowls, we had two other bowls on Monday on New Year's Day. In the ReliQuest Bowl there in Tampa Bay, Florida, LSU defeated Wisconsin 35-31 to to go to 10-3 and on the year. Wisconsin does drop to 7-6. and Garrett Nussmeyer had a big game. 31 to 45 for 395, three touchdowns, one interception. So proving that LSU does have a really good quarterback plan moving forward next year in the post Jay Daniels era. They were Brian Kelly. Uh, wide receiver Brian Thomas had a good game, eight catches, 98 yards, two touchdowns. Kyron Lacey had a little injury there, but he did come back in the game. Six receptions, 95 yards. Malik Neighbors only played in the first half, three catches, 23 yards. He became LSU's all-time reception leader. LSU was down 14 to 0 in this game, and they were also down 21 to 14 at halftime, but it come back to win against Wisconsin. But once again, kind of like the thing that has been there for LSU all season long, the defense struggling. Wisconsin had a season high total yards of 506 yards, and you just got to wonder how long Brian Kelly can stick with defensive coordinator Matt House. In the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, 
Tennessee defeated Iowa 35 to 0. Iowa also got beat 26 to nothing to Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. Iowa's offense just struggles. A 10 win team, but doesn't feel like it when you watch them play. Uh, for Tennessee, they go 9 and 4 in this 35 to 0 win. I, I'm going to, by the time we get to the season, I'll be able to pronounce Tennessee's new score out last name, but I'm not going to attempt to butcher his last name. But Nico, freshman, first ever start, 12 and 19, 151, one touchdown. Through the air, 27 rush yards and three touchdowns. They had a big game on the ground also for Dylan Sampson, one of the three-headed monster at running back that did play in the bowl game. He had 133 yards. Iowa, again, offensively, it was a struggle. Tennessee defense played well, too. Got to give him credit there, too, as well. 11 first downs, 2 of 15 on third down, 173 total yards and 60 yards passing. And then looking at some stuff out of Rose Bowl, the ratings, big-time ratings for the Rose Bowl between Michigan and Alabama, 27.2 million watched a game. It's a top-10 cable broadcast of all time. And Dallas Turner, after the game, announced he would be entering the NFL draft. No surprise. He says, I'm gone. Ain't no if, ands, or buts about it. Uh, Mel Copper Jr. has him ranked as the number 11 player. He had 50 tackles, nine sacks, and two forced fumbles this season. And that's going to do it for today's edition of the show. Be back on Friday. Uh, we're going to talk more Alabama on Friday. We are going to uh, uh, put a stamp on Alabama season. We're going to tie it all up. And uh, AJ Spur is scheduled to join me on Monday. So we'll jump into Alabama, get his thoughts on what happened in the Rose Bowl against Michigan and what Alabama does moving forward. Uh, remember, you can follow me on social media at P. Jordan SCC. The podcast available over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com and check out all my written work on last word on college football. That's it for the show today. Thank you for watching and listening to the Phil Jordan Show.